clearly off topic. Two friends, one unique conversation. Driven to learn, inspire, create, and understand the world. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're just trying to be good humans and make the world a better place. How hard could it be? Hey guys, welcome back to Clearly Off Topic. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Juliet. Ah, what a wonderful week to be back again. Oh my gosh, back again. Another Tuesday. Another Tuesday. How was your week? Um, I think it was pretty good, actually. Um, I got to spend some time relaxing at home this weekend, which what? like never happens. <laughs> Lindsay's home? I know. And relaxing? And relaxing. Um, and yeah, I just have a lot of really cool projects that are coming up, and I'm just really excited about everything that this month is going to be. And yeah, it's going to be a good one. I really think 2020 so far has started out really good. Knock on wood, I feel like every time something good happens, I'm worried something bad's going to happen. Uh-huh. I know it's a bad way of thinking, but uh, so far, so good. So far, so good. I agree. Nothing too hard. Nothing too hard. Um, let's see. Okay, Lindsay, what are we grateful for? Oh my gosh. Um, this week, I am grateful for the ability for relationships to change and mm-hmm. to overcome issues. Um, and it's been recently brought up a lot in my life because I work with my father. Um, my dad and I started working together in 2010. And to say the first couple of years were like tumultuous is kind of an understatement. I mean, I F'd him so many times. He'd fire me and then I'd be like, you can't fire me, I quit. You know, all the like <laughs> dramatic shit you see in movies, that was me and my dad. Like we both needed the last word. And just over the last couple of years, um, we've both grown as people. And because of that, our relationship has changed and morphed. And I'm now somebody in the business that he can come to and actually ask questions and know that I'm going to give them a good answer. And so just the, it's beautiful how relationships between two people can morph and change over time. Like even our relationship, Mm -hmm. Juliet, has changed so much over time and in a positive direction. And I think that when you kind of sit down and you think about it and you realize all the positive things that can happen from conflict in a relationship, and you can kind of like watch that relationship start to flourish and begin to like take its footing again. It's just such a beautiful thing that we as humans are able to adapt and adjust and can really create something beautiful out of like this weird struggle that we're going through at the time. So really grateful for that today. That's a beautiful thing to be grateful for. Mine's a little bit deep as well. So it's been basically exactly five years since my mom had her brain aneurysm. Mm-hmm. It was January 18th, 2015. Oh my gosh. Woo! And it's been a really hellacious five years and it's been a lot of change. And mm-hmm. but the ability for people to have plasticity in their brains and, and the way she's recovered and I've learned so much about myself, good and a lot of bad. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, just the relationship with my parents has changed dramatically, but I've gotten really close with my dad over all of this, mm-hmm. and it's really cool because we were always close. But we just—I think I really—you see your parents as people when something traumatic like this happens, mm-hmm. and it's interesting. And I'm grateful that uh, we've come through on the other side. So far, so good. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's surviving. Everyone is kind of thriving, and uh, yeah, I'm just grateful that it's been five years, and that if I was five years ago, I was not in the same boat that I am right now. So grateful for that. Well, that's a beautiful thing to be grateful for. And I'm really grateful that you're not going through that anymore because that was a lot. And I watched you uh, learn a lot through that whole process (laughs) and it's been incredible, so. It's been a learning experience for all of us. Um, All right, well, you know, we, without further ado, have a really, really great guest. Oh, he's incredible. He's incredible, guys. If you are wanting to do social change, this is a great place to start. He is a filmmaker, a visual effects artist. Uh, He's created this amazing thing called The Documentary, which is this documentary. You're gonna learn all about it. 
going to learn about the leaflets, which are creating a bridge out of homelessness. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be incredible. Before we get to any of that, yeah, we are powered by. We are powered by Red Bear Roastery. Uh, sipping on it right now, honestly. So um, but yeah, Red Bear Roastery is wildly fresh coffee beans, micro roasted in Highland Park, Los Angeles, or right next to Highland Park, Los Angeles. And it is uh, basically roasted to order. So whatever you order is roasted that day or evening and either shipped out or delivered to you. Um, so they're wildly fresh, they're delicious. Um, and the menu is always rotating, which mm -hmm. is super exciting. So if you use our code off topic at redbearroastery.com, you get 20% off of your order. If you're in the LA or Orange County area, that is a delivery service. Um, so he will deliver it right to your door. Um, and there are options for uh, delivery also in Ventura County. So um, definitely look into it. If not, he'll ship it wherever the heck you live. Mm -hmm. um, Except for like out of the you know continental U.S. because I don't really know if that's legal. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. So we'll figure that out. But um, other than that, use our code off topic at redbearrestry.com and save some dollars. As promised, here in studio with us is Michael Angelo. He's a filmmaker and a visual effects artist. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. I'm so yeah. happy you came. I'm happy to be here with both of you. Oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah. So we're gonna jump right in because the way Michael and I met was through my interest in this documentary you're making. To be specific, a documentary. So, okay, before we get into that, actually, let's back up. How did you get into filmmaking and, and visual effects? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long journey. I mean, I, the short answer is when I was uh, in high school, I loved to draw and paint. And then I got accepted to the San Francisco Art Institute. But I just dropped out last minute and because I didn't believe that I could make a living uh, painting. So I ended up um, deciding, oh, well, filmmaking is kind of creative. And so I got into broadcasting. Mm -hmm. And I've gone through production, I've gone through editorial, and then when I landed on visual effects, I'm like, oh, okay, this is super creative. Mm -hmm. It's also super, te uh, very technical, so it's, um, you know, very challenging and kept, kept my interest. And um, I started visual effects pretty much in, in the late 90s, but I, um, I've landed on this thing called Autodesk Flame. And it's... That sounds Kind of dangerous. It sounds, <laughs> sounds dangerous. Yeah, it used to be um, one one computer was a million dollars. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so you would sit in these uh, oh rooms with clients that were yeah. that were want to do Super Bowl commercials and things, and you know it was pressure. You know, it was like I think it got something crazy fifteen hundred dollars an hour, depending on way back in the day. But now now you can get it for like four grand a year. You can just buy the software, put it on your Mac. <laughs> you know. <laughs> It, you know, but but it's still a very specialized tool where you, you do supervised visual effects, like everyone's sitting behind me on a couch and oh. they're all talking and they're often in advertising. And um, and then we just try to make things beautiful for them and, and try to create something um, right in front of their eyes. I was going to say on the fly. So that's kind of, awesome. are they throwing ideas at you and concepts and you're Constantly, just, yeah. and you're just making oh, happen right there. Yeah. And Whoa. it's just like happening right in front of them. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's still rendering time, um, which is funny because in the nineties I used to work with switchers, which meant like, like they look like giant airplane cockpits <laughs> and those you had live digital videotapes. You could actually composite live and do very sophisticated. Uh -huh. Um, but now with computers you have, you still have to render to this day. So I wish, I wish they'd somehow find a way to combine the switcher and this yeah no one's because then you could really like like you're saying do it live because there are some there's some rendering so anyway that's it that's so cool that's so really cool you guys are probably have probably already seen some of michael's work on different commercials and and in films you just don't even know it yet yeah <laughs> you know you've def yeah, you you've definitely seen, have and, and features i used to do more features um so uh but it's kind of gone to the wayside because when the because the supervised environment now they just get these really young kids in, mm. a, in a room of like you know in a big bullpen of 
<laughs> 50 kids are there or they ship it overseas and they're all working hard, which is too bad because it was, we had more interaction with the director and it was, you know, more craft, but now it's so intense, the effects that it makes sense. Do you have a special effect that you like to create? Yeah. So well, I'm, I like, you know, my specialty is in uh, 2d compositing. So, and 3d integration. So I will take 3d elements from a 3d artist and integrate them into the scene. Um, I really like to, light the scene and you almost call it selective colors color correction so you can take an ordinary shot and then by bringing different elements in and um compositing layers and really controlling the light you know you can draw your eye to a certain spot or you can make the sky whatever you replace the sky and Mm -hmm. to me that's very interesting and then the other thing i like to do and it's really horrible but it's (laughs) we call it the devil's work Uh (laughs) and i like to do beauty I like to do beauty like on celebrities. Um, I can't name a lot of them, unfortunately. So in video, you can do beauty corrections in video. Oh, big time. What? Oh, so no, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. All those people that look <clears throat> like they have perfect makeup and skin, they probably don't. It's just the magic of filmmaking. Yeah, so it's... it's, it's Mind blown. <laughs> when you see the cover of Cosmo, mm-hmm. I have to do that, but with live footage. Yes, I, I wasn't aware That's that that I mean. was a thing. I was like, Photoshop, I get. Yeah, yeah. duh. I didn't realize there was like moving Photoshop, basically. That worries me. Okay, I'll tell <laughs> it's you very I, scary. Well, the reason it worries me is because I remember in the 90s when it kind of, people became aware that this wasn't real and there was mm-hmm. enough press about it because you don't want people to have eating disorders and specifically young young women. And I, I've always assumed that people have now figured out that when you watch TV that it's, you know what I mean? I want them to know like, this is a fantasy. We're trying to make this 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 look um, because it, it isn't real. But so that's why they call it the devil's work. And but I, that's really cool though because you are like sculpting a picture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's almost like I keep saying sculpting, even though you're not using like a sculpting tool. It's oh, well, we're sculpting. We're getting in there. With the <laughs> I mean, like we've got I, I, we've got stars, and we go in and they're like, wow, well, I was a little out of shape. I'm like, oh my. No problem. We put a little grid on them, and then we just start bending the grid and track it on, and and then just tracks as it goes. Yeah, I mean it's not that you know it takes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been doing it for twenty years, so it's a high, it's a, it's a tr- high tricky skill. skill. But you asked what it was. Inter- it's really interesting yeah. to do that, and also you know to be honest, I think a lot of this when people are are aging and stuff, I know I'm kind of bringing them back, but you know they they've got their career, and then you know they're kind of I don't know they're feeling. Like they're not aging, you know. Yeah, I don't know. again, it's feeling better about themselves. It's a devil's work, but I find it really fascinating, and and then it makes them feel good too. So Absolutely. I don't know. Yeah. So Tom Cruise really is aging, guys. He's probably aging. That's probably, that's probably why he looks taller yeah. than everybody in in film because they just like no, they scale can cast, it up. They cast it as well. Well, they yeah. probably could scale. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. He he looks pretty good. I, I would. Yeah. He, he might be the one where they, they, they don't, don't do a it. ton. <laughs> I also know they shoot, um, you know, the camera angles and they'll put people on different Boxes, levels and yeah. things. That's the cheat with the height from what I understand. Mm-hmm. But, um, it's probably not che- so cheap. cheaper. I oh, was yeah? like, you are the same height as my father. Like, I just, I don't Jack, know. Jack, look, you're short. Yeah. How, how tall is your dad? Five, six. Okay. Yeah. And I believe he's five, six. Like when I, I saw know. him, I was only like five or six people away from him. Like, I didn't care. There was like crowds of people around him and I was like, oh, it's Tom Cruise. I would have freaked out. I love Tom Cruise. I mean, I want to love him, but then Scientology, and I don't really know. He's a cool guy on film. Crazy things happen to good people. They do. <laughs> they really do. But he, um, yeah, I was just like, oh my God, like, dad, he's the same size as you. My dad's like, yeah, that's like a widely known fact. I had no idea. Yeah, Tom Cruise movies. I'm very, like, not into, like, I'm not dedicated to pop culture like a lot of people, so I just had no idea that he was actually I only know that because of casting. Like, when I was working in casting, um, if there was a Tom Cruise film or if there was an actor that, that in their contract would be, everyone needs to be this short. 
in the film because it just saves money for production. Oh, you don't have to put people on boxes as much. It's just, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Oh, so they make the, the actors match the height? That's fascinating. Yeah. Because there's so many people like, you're not going to replace Tom Cruise, but if he wants to be in your film, you will make everyone else be like a certain height. That's really cool. And my mind's already blown. I'm already learning things. The, de- guys. the devil's work sounds fascinating. I really like like retouching photos. I, it's, it's fun and it's, yeah. it's like an art to make it not look fake. Which is hard. That's, that's the important part. Yeah. yeah. You, if you can see that there's an effect, then you've, 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 you've failed unless you're going for something. Yeah. Unless you're going for a specific look, like a Moulin Rouge or something, you know, where yeah. you're, you're doing some kind of. Or like the thing. Sin City movies where it was like very comic book-esque, like obviously not going to look natural. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people don't realize, I guess, how filmmaking is an entire art. They're like, oh yeah, it's an art. No, literally, you're sculpting people, you're sculpting skies, you're sculpting landscapes, people are writing script. Every single part of filmmaking is an art. Mm-hmm. Even selling the film, like even the negotiations, that's all an art. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's interesting because there is such a, a commerce side tied to it that sometimes as, as, as artists, mm-hmm. You get affected by that, you know. Um, I worked on studio films, and there's definitely a there is a review process that's fascinating. Um, <laughs> be careful, but I'll just say <laughs> I'll just say sometimes you'll get notes, and then you'll be like, "Well, where did that note come?" And they'll yeah. be like, "Well, it's from this studio exec's uh, grandson or something," <laughs> which is fine if it's a good note. Yeah. Um, and I have trust me, I have friends that are in visual effects in the studio that are they're amazing. It's just funny to see, not funny, but it, it, it's, it, it is hard sometimes when we're not taking as many risks mm-hmm. in the film community as we used to. I mean, if you look at a movie like Jaws, and I'm going way, way back, oh, but Jaws. no one had heard, no, that's when they started realizing you could take risks because no one was taking a risk until that point. No one would support that film. Rocky is another example. So they, so now I think we've gone back to the conservative time before those big blockbusters mm-hmm. where they realized you could do something new. And I think... Maybe it's because there's so much media they can't handle risking. I'm not sure, but there's very few studios that are that are, in my opinion, really taking a lot of lots of risks. I agree with you. Yeah, wholeheartedly. The, the board, the boards of directors, just like definitely come in and makes like decisions based off of their own knowledge, right? It's like when we were having all those when Facebook was like in the like they were doing all those like uh, questions to Mark Zuckerberg. Oh my God! Oh yeah, yeah, Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. Yeah. <laughs> So thank you, Mark Zuckerberg. So when they were, it was like eighty-year-old people asking him, like, "If I messaged my granddaughter, yeah. could you tell me?" And it's like, well, yeah, he could definitely get that information, but they're not that. just like searching through it. So it's kind of like that thing where I wonder if the studio, the studio execs, are one thing, but like the board of directors and the rest of those people are putting in their input when they really shouldn't be. Creativity will will rise no matter what. It's just maybe it's in the underground right now. I was having a huge conversation with our good friend, Chris Allison. Hi, Chris. He's a very, very good animator, and he works in big budget stuff. Um, And he's talking about people weren't taking risks as much. Or Mm -hmm. even the effects sometimes are just so crazy and out there that you're not just going for the mechanical shark in Jaws. You're not going for the animatronic dinosaurs in, in, um, in Jurassic Park. And it's... You know, we got to go back to our roots and take risks that maybe don't even feel like risks. Like, let's go back to something that maybe is working. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll just say that I don't want to go too too long on this topic, but I will yeah. say that um, I, I think you're right that sometimes they don't have the information about yeah. what's what, what could be possible. And then there's also, like, about betting. It's like if you're at the gambling table, mm-hmm. I think they're in a position where they're like, well, I can't – they don't want to take the risky bet, so they're taking the safe bet. And then the third thing, just from my research that I've discovered, and I'm not sure if it's 100% true, but it makes sense, is that there's a whole market we're not thinking of. We're thinking mm-hmm. of us as the market. Well, 
there's China. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the movies that trend in China, they're not big risky films traditionally. There actually are more of those big blanket number mm -hmm. um, uh, kind of uh, bets. And so you could you could argue that the big studios are, are not only making movies for us, they're making for China. And I think that dilutes the risk factor a little bit and they're not being as risky. That was something that, that I sense. heard in a few different sources and read in some articles and I thought, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that they that might be making it for other parts of the world and not yeah. just us. That makes that adds up to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. for sure. It's a business. It's a business. In the end of the day, it is a business, uh, even though it is a very creative art form. We're not a big business. We're going to talk about something that's going to make our hearts happy. Yes. And hopefully pocketbooks full. But that doesn't matter because what you're also trying to do when you're in art, I think, the artist's journey is you mm -hmm. want to affect the world. Yeah. Right? That's mm -hmm. one of the reasons that you do art. A, it flows out of you. But B, you want to create effects. So this this movie that you've made called mm -hmm. A Documentary is is phenomenal, guys. It is. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's, it's powerful. It's moving. Um, tell us a little bit about it in your own words. Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, because I, you know, worked with stars and done all the visual effects, I kind of felt my career would, had hit a point where, you know, I'd achieve what I really was trying to do. I really just wanted to, um, work with the big players because I'm from San Francisco and so it was a smaller market there. So once I'd achieved that, um, I have an office that I rented in Venice Beach and I started to look around me and realize, wow, there's all these amazing artists right on the beach many of them experiencing homelessness. Mm -hmm. And I thought, why don't I just gift them these little short documentaries and then I could start directing and move into making my own content and just pursuing that. And so the first film I did was pretty successful. It was through the Hammer Museum with this this guy that is irreverent. He, um, he was, uh, his, his funky pussy, it's a cat flipping you off, um, <laughs> was the poster for the Venice Biennial by um, the Hammer Museum, which was featuring all the artists on the beach. And he has a, uh, uh, funky Frida, it's Frida Kahlo flipping you off. Funky Mona, Mona flip. Everybody's flipping you off. Yeah. He lived in the um, in the parking lot behind my office for thirty years. Wow. Oh his gosh. name is Arthur Moore. So because his name was Art, I came up with the name of the the doc the film. I called it um, the Art of Funky Pussy. Nice. And um, now he swears a lot in it, so I kind of have pulled it down for now because I really want to communicate to a family audience with our film. I don't want to dilute the message and turn anyone off to, to think that what we're doing, but that, that's going to come back at some point. It needs yeah. to be refined. So that was the first one. And then the next film I was thinking about was like, oh, why don't I go find the tree man? And I had met him years before. Um, oh wait, pause. Who's the tree man? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I should probably. So have, okay. People who are not on the sorry, west sorry, that's a good point. No, yeah. Okay, so for for all of you in Bangladesh right now, um, the tree man is, I mean, I he's a spiritual missionary who takes the form of a ten foot tree, mm -hmm. and he goes into the public and just starts talking to people, and as it turns out, you find out in the film that he's experiencing homelessness. And I remember shooting with him on the first day and all these people were taking pictures with him and he didn't ask anybody for any money. And I couldn't figure it out. I'm like, wait, why aren't you asking for photo for money? Because you, you, you'd make a fortune. And he's like, well, that's not why I'm doing this. I'm on a mission to reconnect us with our human nature and our natural surroundings. And I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> so I realized I was gifting this documentary to this man and he was gifting this character to the world. Yeah. 
And so we just became best friends, and that was you know a while ago. If you've been to Venice Beach, you've probably seen Tree Man, and if you've ever met him, you are touched. Yeah, yeah. he is a really beautiful human. And to not take any money, like just so you know, Venice Beach is you're walking down, and like there are street performers that are yeah. begging for tips. There are just people who are asking you for money. Yeah. There are people who are artists who are selling their like goods that they've created. But it's like a very like. There's a lot of money exchange happening mm-hmm. out there. And, and he's, it, it, it's one of the most visited places on mm-hmm. the West Coast. So your opportunity is huge. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, next to Disneyland, it's the most visited place in Southern California. What? I mean, I would sense. believe it. Yeah. yeah so, so you have all those people coming through. And so you have this huge artist population and you have a homeless population. And yeah. people are pulling from that money to survive. Yes. I mean, in all honesty, Chiman will occasionally say... Um, tips are appreciated, but not expected. I'll, I use it for fertilizer to help me grow. But if you go out with him, you'll maybe hear him say that on a day where he's really broke. Yeah. I don't know, five times in seven hours or 10 hours. That's not someone trying to make a living. And I think yeah. it's because he has this conscience and I think he, he's really wants to do something more. But, uh, a tiny spoiler, I'll just mm-hmm. give a little spoiler mm-hmm. is that after being friends for six years and working on the documentary, I know I'm always talking like, you know, why can't you get a job and then also be tree man? He's like, yeah. if I get a job, I can't be tree man and help people. And he finally realized, I said, man, I feel like the plane is crashing and you're putting the oxygen mask on the kid first. Mm-hmm. How can you help this, the world if you are, if you're not surviving? And it finally, the light bulb went off. And then we spent the next year trying to figure out how do you become unhomeless or how, mm-hmm. you know, how do you cross the bridge out of homelessness if you've been in that cycle for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we learn about all the steps and that's yep. the, the next topic. The next in. topic. That is a beautiful <laughs> segue. We can just go right from there. So through this documentary and through your work with, with Tree Man, you guys came up with this concept called Beleaflets. Yeah. A little leaf, it's which little is leaflets. the cutest name ever. <laughs> Are you guys like... I love that. Oh, yeah. I think it's the best. It's, I mean, the it's best. full of tree puns. Um, mm-hmm. we so Beleaflets is born, and it's it's so simple, and it's, it's so simple. beautiful. Go ahead. So, yeah. It was, it, well, well, first of all, I'm just going to say that finding the bridge out of homelessness, when, when he finally pulled the trigger and I realized after all this time, we thought the movie was... It's all about the joy you receive in giving to strangers, which which it is. But realizing, wow, there's this huge story arc now and change in the character that um, I tried to look into with all my we're doing with all volunteers. I mean, I had like I think I had three or four college kids with me, and we were like researching like crazy to figure out how 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 do you cross the bridge out of homelessness. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, it we couldn't figure it out, and we found all these different resources. And but it, it took me almost a year to come up with this formula. This and this is, is with people working with you, with you guys researching, having resources. Yeah. I mean, and that like that's just people are like Eric, people who are homeless, they could fi- they could fix their situation. And you hear that so, so much. much. Exactly. Especially if they wanted to change, they would. Especially out here. Yeah. Like people don't want to give money to homeless people. They don't want to do any of that. Like I will do whatever I can to try to make someone's day. But yeah, I mean, the homeless population gets ignored out here, and people just think that it's like. It is their choice, but it's probably partly their choice because they don't have the resources to, you know, climb their way out of it if they wanted to necessarily. Yeah. And it's hard. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's expensive. So what did you, how did you get, I guess, I mean, what was the first thing that you found? What was, what got the ball rolling on this? Cause there's three, there's tweet, three things. Three things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say when we did finally, f- we found the St. Joseph Center mm-hmm. and you know, what they do is 
um, they enroll you into what's called the coordinated entry system. And what that is, it basically registers you with the county so that you can get access to services. Basically, you get a caseworker and they can look at housing options. And then uh, from there, but, but really all, the other thing they do is on our leaflets, um, the first step is to find the closest CES center. So LA County is pretty big. So we have 21 leaflets and it's broken up by region. Mm-hmm. They're called service planning areas or spas. But um, it's all a map on the website, a documentary dot com forward slash leaflets. But um, <laughs> but the bottom line is uh, we find the closest CES center. And but you, not only do you get registered with the county and get a caseworker, but you also kind of I mean you need a basic they'll like get you an access to a shower. Mm-hmm. They'll get you to a food bank. You can get a voucher to get fed at this. And I know in Venice they have a thing called bread and roses. I mean it's amazing. There's so much love putting that food and uh, razors, um, uh, feminine napkins, all those kind of things. Hygiene, basic, mm-hmm. you know, basic dignity. And that's kind of the first step. And so that's what we have in the belief food is the first step. Just, you know, get yourself together. The next step is that so many people are out in the streets. They're not taking care of themselves. They're in the sun or they're in the cold or they have mental disability or they have drug addiction or, or mm-hmm. substance abuse. And so the next step is to deal with your health. So what we have is the closest health center to the um, CES center. Um, there's actually so many uh, actual health clinics in LA that you can go to that at some point, because this is all self-financed, mm-hmm. at some point I want to get a grant and actually have it so you can put your zip code and then you can you can actually get the exactly where that person experiencing homelessness is the closest um, health center. But for now we have the one closest to the CES. But the next, so getting mental and physical health is so critical because now you've got your basic hygiene, you, you've got a little food in your belly, you know what I mean? You're, you're starting to get, but you need to really deal with that. And then once you're there, you have some energy. Then you do the third step. And the third step is the biggest. And we have the closest chrysalis center. And what they do is they have an empl- employment program. They give you job training. They help you build a resume. They do mock interviews. They'll loan you clothes for job interviews. And if you go through the program, you get a transitional job for a year. Wow. And that income, if you think about it, you can take that income and, and do our other partner, which is part of the third step, which is called Share Collaborative Housing, shareselfhelp.org. And what they do is they combine housing with recovery. Oh, that's Be- incredible. Because when you get housed, you most people when they get housed, they get a room, they lock the door, they're just like in their tent, they go in the same spiral they were on the streets yeah. and they end up on the streets. What Cher does, and it sounds really counterintuitive, but they they have you live in a room with someone else and have a roommate, mm-hmm. an actual bedroom mate. Wow. Now, what do you think that happens? Is there conflict? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But that forces you to deal with the conflict, and you're thinking, well, that's no good. But what they do is, you know, there's a big housing shortage, right? Affordable housing, mm-hmm. but not in single-family dwelling homes. Yeah. Huh. So it turns out there's a huge vacancy rate in L.A. County. So they get these big homes. You share these rooms, but they make sure to have at least one or two common spaces, usually two, and a big yard. So now you have this conflict. So you, what do you do? You go in the other room. You read yeah. a book. You, you watch TV. You go in the yard. You do something else, but in the space. So you learn to socialize, you learn to problem solve, and then you take that into the workplace Mm -hmm. because if you don't have that form of recovery and socialization, if you've been on the streets for a long time, you're really not going to stay in housing. Mm -hmm. No, and people are treating you subhuman when you're on the street. And that socialization, I think, is something that we take for granted Yeah, Yeah. because we're not being actively ignored Mm -hmm. when we ask people things or say hello. Um, And I was thinking as well, accountability. 
If you're in that home and say you don't have a conflict with somebody, you're then also going to be sharing your successes and people are going to mm -hmm. be asking you about what you did. How's your job going? And then there's an accountability where, or even a competition of like, I can't lose my housing. My roommate's not losing their housing. Mm. There's so many different ways point. that it can yeah. work. That's a very yeah. good point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned about um, dehumanizing people when you walk by them because mm -hmm. that's, that's the biggest thing about what we do with the belieflets. That's really what they are. You know, yes. you can you can take these darn things and you can hand them out like candy, and it's gonna be pointless. They're gonna be like flyers to a nightclub that you see mm -hmm. on the ground after you get back to your car and you throw them on the ground. Yeah. The belieflets, well, the way I work with them and the way that people are working with them now successfully is that you 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 actually talk to the person first. You get to know who they are. You hear about their story. You humanize them. You mm -hmm. get to see, you know, and then you can choose because not everyone is ready to get off the streets, you know, um, and and then that engagement is is a huge part. And then you can say, you know, have, did you know that you could get free healthcare here? I notice you have this burn, or I notice you have that, and I and, and you're saying you're saying you'd like to get off the streets. Well, and you do, are you work capable? This would really help you, and and that's an interesting. That's that's really an important thing. That that's something that comes through the humanity of Tree Man, and that's something I really learned. Is I mean, I go down the street like I know everybody's name that is mm -hmm. living on the streets. Yeah, you know, and so I, I don't. That's that's a big part of the belieflets. It is, um, and I think it's those small things that people don't think will help that help. Just reaching out and, and connecting with somebody, saying, saying hello, saying hello. Yeah. You don't have to give them money. You don't have to do anything that's out of your way. You should, but <laughs> just saying hello and, and giving them that is, is what we all deserve. I feel like so many people um, are so like, they have this like fear of homeless people. Yeah. Like they're out to get them. And um, we, my husband and I love soccer and so we have uh, LAFC season tickets and we go all the time and every time we go park by USC we park by the exact same homeless man his name is Clark <laughs> he's a very nice black man and he watches our car because mm -hmm. we're like in a really horrible neighborhood <laughs> and I'll just be like don't you guys worry and like we'll give him a beer we'll give him some water whatever he wants he oh, wants yeah. beer that's what he yeah. wants <laughs> oh my god I can't but believe like, you just said beer that's awesome oh yeah he, he always wants beer so um but yeah I mean like just he he's just a human and people People walk by him and he's told me a story before about how like there's this one USC student who like drives a Porsche and like spit on his tent before <gasps> what? like out of his car like was spitting wow. dip out of his mouth and it got on his tent and he just kind of like sat there like come on man and the guy just like sped away and people really treat him like that and he's a nice guy like he's done nothing wrong to anybody he I don't know how long he's been on the streets but he's just a cool guy and People are always, including like my sisters, they're always so worried about like, oh, you can't park in front of a homeless encampment. I'm like, why? Mm -hmm. They're just people. Mm -hmm. Also, they're not stupid. They're not going to break into a car that's right in front of their, if they are like looking to break into a car. You know what I mean? Like people just dehumanize yeah. them so much. And just in knowing Clark, I know that like, they're just people. Because we're educated now, yeah. right? And you're afraid of things you don't know. So if you, mm -hmm. you're afraid of strangers, we're taught to be afraid of strangers our whole life. We're taught to be afraid of people that don't look like us. Like yeah. all this is ingrained so much and you genetically, have to, actually. genetically, yeah. yeah, you have to break these stereotypes and yeah. it's scary and it's hard and there are bad actors out there, but majority of the time, if you reach but out, that, that is true. Yeah. I mean, it, okay. I think in all fairness, it's like every, I mean, we could, we could go too far in the other direction yeah. be like every person that, that is experiencing homelessness must be, you know, great. No, it, 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 they're just like there's good and evil in everyone mm -hmm, and once you realize that you give them a fair shake and I've learned so much from Tree Man it is insane 
Um, and he, one of the things that he does, so he has, uh, so those of you in <laughs> Mongolia who have never <laughs> seen the tree man, um, he, it's a surreal, uh, uh look. He, <laughs> he, he transforms. You cannot see, you can't see his skin color. You can't see who he is. So people will come in and try to look into his eyes and they're hidden in this mask. <laughs> and the closer they get, they get closer. There's a little pieces of broken mirror <laughs> in front of his eyes. So that when you try to see his eyes, guess what you, you just see? see you. you see yourself. That's beautiful. And so what he's really trying to get us to do is to, he's creating that look so that we all see each other in each other's reflection. And I think that's what you can look for, whether someone's homeless, whether there's a billionaire and a Porsche, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's really what the, you know, the whole theme of the documentary when you get into it creatively, I mean is really about reflections. I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's kind of our trope. Um, so yeah, I think giving people a chance and um, is a big is a big part of what needs to happen to help solve homelessness. So um, if people are like now really tuned into this and they want to get some leaflets, yeah. um, going to is it the leaflets are at a documentary.com slash leaflets right? forward slash leaflets yeah. yeah. So we're gonna have all that in the all show, that notes in the show notes. notes. Check it out and all that. And yeah. then before we started, you were talking a bit about flow. And yeah. really how this is affecting homelessness, but just people in general. Sorry. <laughs> Let me just say one more thing on the beleaflets, yeah, if I may. Of course. Yeah. Um, the one other thing I wanted to say about the beleaflets in the documentary is Tree Man, by the way, the man inside the tree is Lionel Powell. So mm -hmm. Lionel Powell has been experiencing homelessness for over 20 years. And you get lost when you're out there. I think a lot of the reason why people don't necessarily find a way out as easily is because they have shame mm -hmm. about because being homeless about so being long? homeless and like coming back and having pride that they wouldn't be able to kind of get back to a regular job and these kind of things and i think that one of the things that if we as as people like you said don't don't dehumanize them and communicate with them and treat them as equals that gives them the strength to kind of feel that they could rejoin society working society and all of that um, but one of the things we focus on in the beliefs because right now politically in this country there's so much division. Mm -hmm. There's so much hate, which is another podcast. That's the other <laughs> podcast that hurt. Yeah. Okay, now I remember the po uh, your podcast. Yeah, there, there's so much that hate that's going on online. But when you really talk to people, you know, people get along. Like they have a lot in common. Um, is that because of the political division? What we realized is that the beliefs are a solution. They're a pathway to self empowerment. Mm -hmm. They aren't. They're not looking like how do we get handouts to people who are experiencing mm -hmm. homelessness. It's how do we give people a hand up? Mm -hmm. Because we're showing them a way to rejoin the workforce. And even if you're handicapped or 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 and you cannot mm -hmm. rejoin the workforce, you can take that SSI and get into sh to share collaborative housing. Yeah. In fact, you can even take the beliefs and reverse all the steps and start with share collaborative housing. And, and work your way through if you have mm -hmm. some SSI. It's pretty amazing. But I just wanted to bring that up because so many people are looking at homelessness and there's only, there's, it's only going to work if we try all the approaches. Let, mm -hmm. you know, if, you know, affordable housing, um, independent activism. Um, I'll say one more thing about independent activists. Like we're creating independent activists about our audience, but that's actually a trend I've been noticing. Mm -hmm. um, are you familiar with Bella Baskins? She created this thing called Blessed Bags. No, no, I want to well, know no, her. We need to know her. Yeah, well, she, she's from the Baskin Robbins family, and um, and so she has more resources than I. Yeah, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, we were actually communicating this week a little bit because we she was seeing what I was doing and we were appreciating what she was doing. I'm, I'm trying to find a way to collaborate with her. But she created these um, blessed bags where they're very affordable and they're just 
they're either for a man or a woman or for a dog. And, <laughs> and they're, they're, and you can basically, you know, they have in them sunscreen, a granola bar, water, all the kind of things that you might want if you're struggling out there. So if you have someone in your neighborhood you're seeing that's struggling, you can go to her website and you can, and, and get these. And then, then you can actually have a dollar go to it. A charity that you want. So, but my point is that there's all these people like her. She and I are like kindred spirits. Like we were communicating, and I was like, "What you're doing? What I'm doing?" Like, you know, yeah. in the sense where I think it's going to be even bigger than um, the solutions aren't going to be just government institutions. It's not going to be private sectors. I mean, it's everything. Mm-hmm. And so, independent activism. That's all I wanted to. Well, because every individual is different, right? So their story of what led them to homelessness is different. And the story of how they get out of it, if they want to get out of it, is also different. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we have to have a number of different things that we're trying in order to make an impact at all. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, independent activism, as we called it, right? Um, You know, just because you're not a part of a big organization does not mean what you're doing isn't making a difference. Mm -hmm. And I've told that story before, but like the guy that's walking on the beach and he's throwing the starfish into the water. There's thousands of them on this beach and he's throwing them in. They're all dying. And the guy comes up and he says, what are you doing, man? You're not going to save them all. And the guy picks up another starfish, throws it into the water and says, it mattered to that one. Right? So every little thing you do counts. Every little thing that you, every step you take towards helping another human or an animal that matters, guys. It matters. Yeah. Just go do it. Yeah, we're all just starfish. We're all yeah, just little starfish. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so flow. You you really wanted to talk about flow, and I want to talk about it too because it's obviously something that's near and dear to my heart. And um, so when you were working um, with Tree Man, and like, how did flow kind of come into all of this? And yeah. So being from San Francisco, I'd, I'd seen fire performers. So I kind of, you see all that business. Right? Oh yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> Michelangelo also spins fire. Does anyone know like not spin fire, but me, am I the only one? You're the only one. You got fire on your head though, so it's That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I'd seen that kind of business and thought it was, you know, it was kind of cool. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't, it was because of Tree Man that I discovered, um, Flo <clears throat> and actually another character in our film, Jennifer Jensen of Eclectic Hoops, mm-hmm. who would, um, create these hula hoops on the beach and sell them. But then she would let people play with them for free. So it was another kind of gifting and that we really gravitated to her and the story. But, um, so I started, you know, getting into Flo and saying, oh, that looks really cool and looks really fun. But the more I watched uh, Tree Man or Lionel in his um, ensemble, uh, <laughs> I was I I was trying to figure out why is he connecting with people so much or what's happening, and I uh, the more and more I researched our relationship to nature and our own physiology and our own brain chemistry and the neuroscience of of flow, I realized that's that's what it is. He's in a flow state, and people are picking up on this. And combine that with his height and this outrageous um, outfit, that that that's the connection that he's making. So I, I went down this deep rabbit hole of research, <laughs> and then that's when I realized, oh, fire spinning is the flow arts. Mm-hmm. And so I started in 2018 and went to the Ignite um, mm-hmm. Festival in um, uh, Joshua, Joshua Tree. Tree. Joshua yeah, Tree. Oh, you were there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'd only been doing. Ready for this? I'd only been. F- fire spinning for four days or spinning <laughs> that's awesome i've never done fire and i went up my fourth day <laughs> and, and when did it once i went there i was like okay this is my tribe mm-hmm. like this is because <laughs> you know it's creative people but you know they don't party too hard because you're spinning fire so you got to keep your stuff together so i like the more intelligent side of that and then the, you know the dance and so it 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 it's really become a big part of the film because the more i researched the more i realized that 
Treeman has, just like all of us, his own struggles and his own uh, mental uh, instability that any of us can have. Mm-hmm. And he uses flow as a way to heal himself. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing that. And, and it sounds new agey, but actually the more you look in it, it's rock um, solid neuroscience. And mm-hmm. it started in the early teens. Yeah. When I think about flow, when I first started to get into it, um, my first like interaction into anything that was a flow at all was yoga, right? And same thing with people who practice yoga on a regular basis and are doing it, they can really get into that flow state while they're putting together their own you know, little yoga thing at home or when they're in a class with somebody. And so I first kind of started to realize that because I kind of hit that. It's almost like that runner's high moment, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're like, oh, I could, I could keep doing this. I'm so focused on what I'm doing, not paying attention to anything else. And there's, yeah, there's now, you were saying there's like research and stuff like that um, on, you know, what it does for our brains and to disconnect. For me, it's like a disconnect from whatever's going on, right? If I'm stressed out, if I'm struggling, no matter what is going on in my life, if I sit there with my hoop or my fans or any of that stuff, um, I can hit that flow state and then all of my worries just kind of go away for a while, right? Yeah, you become absorbed in the moment. You become um, kind of lose your sense of self Mm -hmm. and that becomes healing. And um, if you look at it, uh, what so, so in the early teens they started the research, and then the gentleman who really pushed things in the last thirty to thirty years, I think it is, is Mihai Csikszentmihalyi from Czechoslovakia. Yeah, don't try to spell that. Yeah. <laughs> I was just saying, I don't even want to try to pronounce it. <laughs> but um, he's the one that's really written a lot of books on it, and really studied it, and looked at the neuroscience of flow, and looked at how that you can actually be in a flow state in everyday life. Mm-hmm. And that's a trick. I mean, I've been actually reading a lot about it. Um, Are there but, steps that he like lays out? Yeah, I mean, I think that the main, th- it's pretty simple. It's basically the idea of not letting the outside forces around you overtake your your mind and it's all about attention where you place mm-hmm. your attention so it's it's the whole reason that you feel great is because if you have bills you have an argument with a family member and all this thing and all mm-hmm. of a sudden you start practicing flow mm-hmm. or even you know flow can be also a run it can be playing music there's mm-hmm. a lot of things we can there, do to get in flow anything. <laughs> yeah that it takes you away it's almost an escape but what Mihai um, Csikszentmihalyi talks about is that it's escape forward mm-hmm. and not an escape backwards. And I think that's super important because people think, oh, I'll just ignore it. That's not flow. Mm-mm. Ignoring the bills, ignoring your family member, that's not flow. You're taking it and you're bringing it into your world but moving it all forward. Is that kind of what? Well, I mean, I think in the sense where you, you're taking that time to take a break from those anxiety feelings, but you're also staying connected to yourself you're not taking that break to to run from them because you because everything that you do when you're in a state of flow is almost all the activities except maybe video games which i think i would argue that it's a limited state of flow because of the way it works and the way it works with your eyes and and the way Mm -hmm. it works with your physiology is not the same okay so i mean i would say that it's an escape forward because you're doing an activity that's actually good for your soul, it's good for your mind. So flow activities are not like taking drugs mm-hmm. or... Yeah, you're not going to smoke a cigarette when smoking, you're stressed out. You know yeah, what I mean? or getting <laughs> wasted. I mean, it's it's more of doing something that's an activity like playing music or going for a walk with your dog or you know playing with all these different fire tools that we practice with. Um, and so it's not something that's gonna move your life forward in a positive way. 
Um, actually, now in all fairness, I, I because um, and when the experts, if we have experts listening, <laughs> there is such a, a there is a lot of research that shows that microdosing with uh, psilocybin and different substances, if it's a microdose, not mm-hmm. getting wasted or higher a party, that that will actually can set you into a flow state. Yeah, I've heard that too. And it sounds very um, okay. It sounds it might sound hippy dippy to conservatives, but if you really look at it closely, right now um, psilocybin therapy is the number one solution for PTSD and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, soldiers right now. And the Depart- U.S. Department of Defense is getting pretty deep into um, the combining psilocybin um, with therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a proponent of it. All I'm just saying is that there there, there is some research since I did yeah, mention Yeah, and that is, that is like mm-hmm. mountains away from people who are doing that out at a festival or out at a concert or like in their own home. Like those people who are doing those like clinical trials and all of that, when people talk about microdosing, it is like the tiniest bit. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're not getting the effects that you normally would if you're taking the drug. Yeah. Other than like the maybe emotional feelings and things of that, the nature. flow state, the just, flow just state, the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, the good stuff. I mean, a lot of um, a lot of uh, Silicon Valley billionaires, you know, that are entrepreneurs are doing it. But I will say, I, I believe in the therapy. They do take pretty serious doses because they yeah. get in a safe environment and it allows them to open up and to deal with the pain and suffering. So, those are some things I've kind of come to in my flow state research, because. You know, Tree Man is really reminding um, me and I'm reminding all of us to look at our relationship to nature, which is so easy to get lost when you have these these amazing devices in our pockets. I mean, it's so easy to get addicted to, to technology. And the last thing I'll say about that is that I have like technology addiction. So here mm-hmm. I am making this film about our connection to nature, and then I'm going, wait, I'm completely technology addicted to technology. And you know, and especially when you you spend visual effects, I'll work sometimes. I think the longest shift I did was sixty two hours without a break. But I mean, <laughs> twenty twenty seven hours is can can happen a lot. Like yeah. we'll just pull an all lighter, some you know Super Bowl commercial or something, you know, or even mm-hmm. a seventeen hour shift, which is pretty tough. That's on the, on I the mean, body. that's yeah. kind of normal too. Like I think in your field, it can be. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. I try to avoid them. Um, but my point being is this, is that now after I do all that work, when I'm done with my work, then I come back to my work, my documentary, mm-hmm. and guess what? Most of the work on the documentary is researching the computer, editorial, um, mm-hmm. taking cameras and bring, doing producing and corresponding. I'm working on the computer again. And so then the worst thing I found is I'll get into this trap where I'll be exhausted and, and instead of like playing piano or going for a walk, it, there's so much good stuff on like Netflix or something, oh and then I want, and then I'm like, wait a second, I'm destroying my whole body. I'm, I'm such a hypocrite. So I'm working on all that, and that flow is helping me. Is my point? It's like no, that's changing my life to to overcome my own technology addiction and, and um, yeah. Yeah, uh, the news feed always gets me. There's always a new news story. Oh my god, I can't yeah. watch it. News feed, news feed. Joel's and I watching like the good news too. I I ignore the bad news. There's still too much of it. Yeah, Joel was uh Joel's watching like uh, the Daily Show or something like that the other day, and I was like, I just can't watch this before I go to bed. I already know what they're going to talk about. I can't <laughs> listen to it. I'm trying to go to sleep tonight. Like it's going to stress me out because it was all about Iran and all yeah. that stuff. And so he was um. Yeah, I can't. I have to avoid the news. Well, I think that flow is just breaking down your life into the basics of what you should be focusing on. And the anxiety that we get from the news, of all the bad news, even the good news. It's like we all have opinions on it. Flow is just one state of mind. Yeah. It's simple. It feels good. And everybody can find it. And everyone can find it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 
it's been really important in my life. It's really helped me through a lot. Mm-hmm. And I never thought that picking up, like, like I said on the episode with Morgan, like I never thought picking up a tiny plastic circle was going to matter that much, yeah. but it really has. And it's mm-hmm. changed and transformed my life. And, you know, it's brought back personality traits that I haven't seen in myself since I was a kid. Mm. And yeah, my ability to manage stress has been better. All of that because mm-hmm. I have an outlet, right? Really helps with stress. Mm-hmm. And it's becoming so mainstream now. It's crazy. So it's like crazy. Cover of Time magazine um, has a flow. He has a whole the whole article Spin about F- yeah. SpinFX just uh, did a whole performance with their Sear Wheel and like Morgan and um, one of the other girls that used to rep for SpinFX went out and did the Dallas Mavericks LA Lakers halftime show with all of their LED hoops. Whoa. Yeah, so yeah. it's becoming extremely mainstream. Yeah. Like that commercial we talked about. Like Ford was going to do a commercial where they wanted to do like a Burning Man esque commercial, and they were like. They wanted people who could hula hoop, and Juliet's like, "Will you just yeah. go do this, please?" Yeah, like, my agent called me to do it, and I was like, "I can hula hoop," but it was funny because people, people, some people don't quite know what it is. So when I got called in for that commercial, um, he's like, "You can hula hoop," and I was like, "Yeah, I can hula hoop, great." But they didn't want a hula hooper; they wanted a hooper. Yeah, right. Like Those two things are different. I'm like, I can spin it around my waist forever. <laughs> I can't like do what Lindsay does. So yeah. it's it's interesting now if those Super Bowl commercials are happening. You yeah. Know? And, and also for people that are not into hula hoops or fire spinning, mm-hmm. the other part that's picking up in flow that I've noticed is um, Navy SEALs, for example. Mm. Navy SEALs do so much work with finding a flow state because, again, mm-hmm. it's about optimal human, ex- uh, optimal human performance, mm-hmm. mental and physical. Yep. Uh, UFC fighters, mm-hmm. flow state is huge among all their training. I mean, you're in a complete state of flow if you're in the ring fighting with someone, boxers, wrestlers, all those mm-hmm. things. So this is the funniest thing I thought was, is that, you know, you look at this research, the word flow kind of got adopted in the seventies by the, um, the new age movement that started because uh, Western world got connected to India. I don't know if you remember that. Have you seen that Rajneesh? Um, mm-hmm. Is it big country or was it? Or yeah, uh, wild, wild, wild country. Yeah, wild, wild country. Oh my god! Oh, you have to oh watch god. that, Julia. Guys, their faces right now. <laughs> oh my god! If wild you guys haven't watched that, that wild, wild, wild country. Yeah, wild, wild country. on Netflix. Holy moly! Oh, holy crap! You, <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, that is the is best. It my childhood, or it may be the best um, documentary. Yeah. <laughs> Julia, Julia was a hippie seen. child. I was, I was like, it's like this probably is not gonna. <laughs> but the point is, is that our what we don't what we look at in this country is that you know this this in the 50s was very conservative and then the 60s started breaking up and then you know all this new age stuff happened so the new age movement grabbed all of these words like flow and you know i mean i can't think of other words we'll just say the word flow for right now and they adopted it so it's becoming this hippie concept or they were taking psychedelics and doing all these things and so there was a big backlash with conservatism and then there was the war on drugs with nixon which was really a racial thing they were trying to stop protests but anyway Mm -hmm. (laughs) and now you come to today we have the internet and everyone's really looking at this information now more objectively and they're like well wait a second that's actually really amazing tools that could help anyone and Mm -hmm. now navy seals and everyone's using it and i find that really fascinating that that now all these things that were seen as hippy dippy are now becoming very commonplace across conservatives, liberals, everyone. Yeah. yeah. So as flowers, you mm-hmm. guys, flowers, flowers. <laughs> we're flomies. Flomies. There flomies? you go. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, like, homies, like homies. Flomies. Yeah. He guys, he's with the puns. He is. He's got all it. the words. He's got all the I'm words. I'm not very quick witted. So what? So give, give our listeners like something to hold on to here. Like they're like, I don't know where my flow's at. I don't know if I'm a hooper. I don't know if I do that. What's a good first step to finding your flow? I mean, 
mean, figure out what makes you feel good when you do it. If that's going on a walk, if that's going on a hike, if that's picking up a hula hoop or a flow prop, if that's running, like whatever your thing is, if that's going and taking a dance class, like if that's going, whatever it's doing, figure out what makes you feel good when you do it and then focus all of your energy on that when you are doing it. Don't be thinking about external things. Just focus on what you're doing in that moment and you will eventually hit that flow state. If you've ever had runner's high, it kind of feels like that. It's not like a high, like runner's high, but you just, there, for me, it's like there's this weight lifted off my shoulders and I just feel like I can move and be myself and yeah, just look for things that make you happy. I would assume that reading can probably be in a flow state where you just like read 25 pages and you're like, whoa, where did the last 10 minutes go? You know, I mean, it can be anything. So just figure out what makes things, you happy. Probably. Yeah. Multiple things. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think it's when you lose a sense of self. So in all those things, as long as you're losing a sense of self and you're not doing something that's damaging for yourself, it's usually an individual activity. Um, mm -hmm. In the research from Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, and there's another gentleman who's um, the newer work, which his name is Stephen Kotler, and he has a project called the Genome Project. Um, and uh, Basically, it's looking at an activity that challenges you so that it challenges, but not so much that you get frustrated. So boredom, it's impossible to be in a flow state when you're bored. It's yeah. impossible to be in a flow state when you're frustrated. Mm -hmm. So it's finding something that's challenging you. Um, reading, it's interesting enough. I find you do. You get lost and da, da, da. But he was actually saying that in the book that I was reading, I was literally reading mm -hmm. it, maybe even yesterday morning. So I have like, so many books all over the house. But, um, mm -hmm. but Mihai Csikszentmihalyi was talking about that, like we use television as a way to escape backwards. Mm -hmm. And he said that reading doesn't use as much of our faculties because it's just our mind and our eyes. Oh, that makes sense. So that there's actually another component he's suggesting is that to really get to, toward a higher level flow state and get the benefits from it is that there's also a combination of physical of movement a little more mm -hmm. physical so that makes sense actually right yeah when I, everything else i described was a movement or an action that yeah you're doing. yeah yeah like hand-eye coordination like playing piano like you're looking with your eyes you're listening it's immersive it's yeah. immersive yeah and things like that are so good for aging and staving off of alzheimer's mm -hmm. because you're using multiple senses you're using your mind you're using your heart you're using your emotion you're using your hand eye coordination mm -hmm. so things flow state activities are actually good for your long-term health anti-aging guys so i'll give you a closer when it comes to flow um one of the biggest reasons i've dove so deep into flow state research and putting it in my own life, my own practice, is using flow as a way to heal yourself. Um, flow is medicine. And I'm talking about medicine, real medicine, mm -hmm. not new age uh, hippy dippy stuff, even though that stuff's good medicine too, if you're into it, um, is that uh, there is a, a woman, her name is Sam Toby, mm -hmm. and she's one of the most amazing fire performers. Oh, and incredible. if you look at her Instagram, I think it's Flow Mayhem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you look at, and people are like, oh my God. I think Fire, fire Dart is her main tool. And she had a post and uh, that I read, and basically it was about that she had been diagnosed with bipolar, that she was bipolar. And they had given her meds, and she tried all these different things, and she was running amok. I mean, she was 
She was getting involved in crime. She was doing all sorts of things that were really bad for her and bad for others around her. And then when she discovered flow, and it might have been hooping. It might have been hooping mm-hmm. to start. I think it was hooping to start. To start. Yeah. But she discovered flow. And then she all of a sudden getting in that flow state, she didn't need to take her meds, if, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Or, it helped her. It like helped her to relieve a lot of her symptoms mm-hmm. without her having to take those mood stabilizers and all those things that can really affect you long term later down the line. Exactly. So here's someone that has struggled in her life so hard with, and, and they're basically saying, you need to do this, you know, be, you know, be on drugs all the time and psychiatric help. She's using flow to basically, um, to heal herself. And so I'll leave you that. That's a good closer, I think, about, about yeah, the benefit of flow states. And she's doing incredible things. Like Sam is one of the sweetest, like kindest people I've ever met. And she is so incredible at her craft and her art. And you can see the flow state in her when she's in those videos that she posts. Like you can see her only paying attention to that thing she's doing and having that little bit of an out-of-body experience. You can watch it and it's mm-hmm. an incredible thing to see. So graceful too. And- oh yeah. And so powerful. Like I would like I can be graceful. I can't be powerful. I get to, <laughs> I get one or the other. Yeah. You know what you I mean? Choose. <laughs> but yeah, so flow can really help heal you and it can it can just I, I love that story. Yeah. And I, and I love also that it's it's actual it's neuroscience, like real hard science so it can be for you know, and a housewife who's struggling in, in you know, in, in, in uh, Southern Texas, or it can be for someone who's, uh, you know, uh, a jet plane flyer in Singapore. I mean, it really yeah, it it doesn't matter who you are. You can find a way to use this, these tools to um, make your life better. Yeah. I love that. I know. And I'm all inspired to go find some, find my flow. I mean, I left a hula hoop here about two and a half years ago. Oh, snap. She did. She did. (laughs) But, um, but yeah. Okay. So how can we find all of these amazing things? I mean, I keep pitching it, but I want to go over it one more time. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, the documentary would really help to follow us on social media because Mm -hmm. we're just getting to the end of our movie. We have our ending. We're just wrapping up production so we're going to start releasing trailers and all those things this year and um and we're you know finish our editorial and and submit to festivals so we could use the support so if you go to a documentary.com begins with an a ends with a tree and you can (laughs) check out the website and learn more about the film but you can also follow us um, on social media at a documentary just at a documentary but the other part of it is if you're in la county and someday we hope to have it in other counties we we will Mm -hmm. uh you and you want to help people you see that are experiencing homelessness obviously the first step is just have a conversation with them but you can go to our website to adocumentary.com forward slash belieflets and you can print the belieflets right there and they Mm -hmm. show you you know how to get the ones that are for the right um, geographical location and they even give you options to like send them to print so you can go pick them up somewhere so even if you don't have a printer at home they have made it accessible to you too yeah we have some links for that kind of thing and um and then i guess if you want to check out my uh my own social media um, I put my Michelangelo media, I kind of have it a mix of a personal and visual effects right now. It's, and the documentary. So but I have a lot of fire stuff. It's a Mangelo media <laughs> and that's on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. A documentary is also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And believe it or not, I have another brand that I started mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm crazy. Um, yep, and welcome. it's called filmmakerfitness.com. And that one's just starting. So I, um, once I discovered the flow state and how that went in my life, I started, you know, oh, I want to do a health blog. So now I started doing that. But I am a little bit of a wild man and I had a pretty bad skating act- accident and snapped my clavicle. Oh my so, um, <laughs> so I basically um, had to heal from that. And since then, I really have 
between the film and you know visual effects i haven't gotten back but that's coming that's coming soon now that the, the flow research and all my practice is coming so that's awesome there you go lots there's a lot of stuff it's a lot to look forward to <laughs> well thank he you he sounds coming. just like me when it comes to like things exactly I do all of the things and um yeah it's been incredible to have you on this podcast we really appreciate you coming out and making the trip a couple blocks up here to come visit us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for, for hanging in with here with us and we will see you next week. Yeah. We see you later. Bye. Bye.